purple.com. Sleep better for less. Number one in the customer satisfaction. Two years in a row with Mattresses Online by JD Power Award. Pick the right mattress for you. The Purple Mattress Dual Layer Comfort Foam, Purple Hybrid, Breathable Response Support, Purple Hybrid Premier, Less Pressure for a Dreamy Floaty, The Ascent Adjustable Base to Make It Impossible to Work, Read, and Lounge in Bed. Bundle up for big savings, 10% off premium bedding and cushioning bundles. Kids mattresses ultimately place grid on softer form for best support, even for little sleepers. Enjoy no pressure support with free sheets and two pillows on select mattresses. Purchase up to 247, 247 value. Sleepy Jones or Purple Jambos all day comfort with soft stretch inspired pajamas while you worry about breakfast. Some products are Purple Harmony Pillow, Double Seat Cushion, Purple and Gravity Weighted Blanket, Purple Duvet. Choose Purple for no pressure support for everybody. 30 plus years and 35 patents. Comfort Gel Grid, technology originally created to make wheelchairs more comfortable than they remembered beds. People love Purple, period. Positively, and that's P-A-W-S-tively, comfy even for your fur baby. www.everyplate.com Make affordable, crowd-pleasing meals at home. Choose from 14 delicious and affordable recipes that change every week. Everything you need is shipped to your door. Home-cooked deliciousness ready in 30 minutes. Save time and skip tedious trips to the grocery store. Save money and enjoy tasty dinners that won't break the bank at only $4.99 per serving. Easy to cook recipes at only Six some steps and will turn you into a chef. And you can skip or cancel anytime. Some examples of meals are sweet chili chicken, super smash burgers, balsamic glazed pork chops, Tuscan pork meatballs, crispy blue cheese chicken, chicken sausage meatball soup, saucy chicken and pepper stir fry, garlicky white sauce, flatbreads, caramelized onion and meatballs, Loaded baked potato chowder, creamy chicken sausage penne, black bean and pepper jack tostadas, chili garlic soup, crispy chicken couscous bowls. Just select recipes after signing up, recommended by 9,000 families. Break the cycle of boring. Here is U.S. President number 22 and 24, Grover Cleveland, Part 2. Starting with vetoes. Cleveland faced a Republican Senate and often resorted to using his veto powers. He vetoed hundreds of private pension pills for American Civil War veterans, believing that if their pension requests had already been rejected by the Pension Bureau, Congress should not attempt to override that decision. When Congress, pressured by the Grand Army of the Republic, passed a bill granting pensions, for disabilities not caused by military service, Cleveland also vetoed that. Cleveland used the veto far more often than any president up to that time. In 1887, Cleveland issued his most well-known veto, that of the Texas Seed Bill, after a drought had ruined crops in several Texas counties. Congress appropriated $10,000, equivalent to $284,556 in 2019, to purchase seed grain for farmers there. Cleveland vetoed the expenditure. In his veto message, he espoused the theory of limited government. 
I can find no warrant for such an appropriation in the Constitution. I do not believe that the power and duty of the general government ought to be extended to the relief of individual suffering, which is in no matter pro properly related to the public service or benefit. I prevail tendency to disregard the limited position of this power and duty should, I think, be steadfastly resisted to the end that the lesson should be constantly enforced that though the people support the government, the government should not support the people. The friendliness and charity of our countrymen can always be relied upon to relieve their federal fellow citizens in misfortune. This has been repeatedly and in quite elatedly demonstrated. Federal aid in such cases encourages the expectation of paternal care on the part of the government and weakens the sturdiness of our national character, while it prevents the indulgence among our people for of that kindly sentiment and con conduct which strengthens the bonds of common brotherhood. Silver one of the most volatile issues of the 1880s was whether the currency should be backed by gold and silver or by gold alone. The issue cut across party lines with Western Republicans and Southern Democrats joining together in the call for the free coinage of silver, and both parties' representatives in the North is holding firm for the gold standard. Because silver was worth less than its legal equivalent in gold, taxpayers paid their government bills in silver, while international creditors demand, demanded payment in gold resulting in a depletion of the nation's gold supply. Cleveland and Treasury Secretary Daniel Manning stood firmly on the side of the gold standard and tried to reduce the amount of silver that the government was required to coin under the planned Allison Act of 1878. Cleveland unsuccessfully appealed to Congress to repeal this law before he was inaugurated. Angered Westerners and Southerners, Southerners advocated for cheap money to help their poor constituents. In reply, one of the most, one of the foremost civil rights, Richard P. Bland, introduced a bill in 1886 that required the government to coin unlimited amounts of silver, inflating the then deflating currency. While Bland's bill was defeated, so was a bill the administration favored that would repeal any silver coinage requirement. The result was a retention of the status quo and a postponement of the resolution of the free silver issue. Tariffs. When we consider that the, that the theory of our institutions guarantees to every citizen the full enjoyment of all the fruits of his industry and enterprise with only such a deduction as may be his share towards the careful and economical maintenance of the government which protects him, it is the plain that the exaction of more than this is indefensible extortion and a culpable betrayal of American fairness and justice. The public treasury, which should only exist as a conduit con conveying the people's tribute to its legitimate object of expenditure, becomes a whore, hoarding place for money needlessly withdrawn from trade and the people's use, thus crippling our national energy, suspending, suspending our country's de development, preventing investment in productive enterprise, threatening financial disturbance, and inviting schemes of public plunder. Cleveland's Third Annual Message to Congress, December 6, 1887. Another contentious financial issue at the time was the protective tariff. These tariffs had been implemented as a temporary measure during the Civil War to protect American industrial interests, but remained in place after the war. While it had not been a central point in his campaign, Cleveland's opinion on the tariff was that of most Democrats that the tariff fought to be reduced. Republicans generally favored a high tariff to protect American industries. American tariffs had been 
high since the Civil War, and by the 1880s, the tariff brought in so much revenue that the government was running a surplus. In 1886, a bill to reduce the tariff was narrowly defeated in the House. The tariff issue was emphasized in the congressional elections that year, and the forces of protectionism increased their numbers in the Congress, but the but Cleveland continued to advocate tariff reform. As the surplus grew, Cleveland and the reformers called, it, called for a tariff for, for revenue only. His message to Congress in 1887 highlighted the injustice of taking more money from the people than the government needed to pay its operating expenses. Republicans as well as protectionists, Northern Democrats like Samuel J. Samuel J. Randall believed that American Indians would fail without high tariffs, and they continued to fight reform efforts. Roger Q. Mills, was chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, proposed a bill to reduce the tariff from about 47% to about 40%. After Senate exertions by Cleveland and his allies, the bill passed to the House. The Republican Senate failed to come to agreement with the Democratic House, and the bill died in the Conference Committee. Dispute over the tariff persisted into the 1888 presidential election. Foreign policy, 1885 to 1889. Cleveland was a committed non-interventionist who had campaigned in opposition to expansion and imperialism. He refused to promote the previous administration's Nicaragua Canal Treaty and generally was less of an expansionist in foreign relations. Cleveland Secretary of State Thomas F. Bayard negotiated with Joseph Chamberlain of the United Kingdom or a fish fishing right in the waters off Canada and struck a conciliatory note despite the opposition of New England Republican Senators. Cleveland also withdrew from Senate consideration the Berlin Commerce Treaty, which guaranteed an open door for U.S. interests in the Congo. Military Policy 1885-1889 to Cleveland's military policy emphasized the self-defense and modernization. In 1885, Cleveland appointed the Board of Fortifications under Secretary of War William C. Endicott to recommend a new coastal fortification system for the United States. No improvements to U.S. coastal defenses had been made since the late 1870s. The Board's 1886 report recommended a massive $127 million construction program, equivalent to $3.6 billion in 2019 at 29 harbors and river estuaries to include new breach loading rifle guns, mortars, and naval minefields. The board and the program are usually called the Endicott Board and the Endicott Program. Most of the board's recommendations were implemented, and by 1910, 27 locations were defended by over 70 forts. Many of the weapons remained in place until scrapped in World War II as they were replaced with new defenses. Endicott also proposed to Congress a system of examinations for Army officer promotions. For the Navy, the Cleveland administration, spearheaded by Secretary of the Navy William Conlon, Collins, Collins, William Collins Whitney, moved towards modernization, although no ships were constructed that could match the best European warships. Although completion of the four steel hull warships began under the previous administration was delayed due to a corruption investigation and subsequent bankruptcy of their building yard. These ships were completed in a timely manner in naval warships once the investigation was over. Sixteen additional steel hull warships were ordered by the end of 1888. These ships later proved vital in the Spanish-American War of 1898 and many served in World War One. These ships included the second-class battleships Maine and Texas designed to match modern armored 
ships recently acquired by South American countries from Europe, such as the Brazilian battleship Riachuelo, 11, per, 11 protected cruisers, including the famous Olympia, one armored cruiser, one armored cruiser, and one monitor, were also ordered along with the experimental cruiser Vesuvius. Vesuvius, yeah. Civil rights and immigration. Cleveland, like a growing number of Northerners and nearly all white Southerners, saw Reconstruction as a failed experiment and was reluctant to use federal power to enforce the 15th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which guaranteed voting rights to African Americans. Though Cleveland appointed no black Americans to patronage jobs, he allowed Frederick Douglass to continue in his post as re recorder of deeds in Washington, D.C., and appointed another black man, James Campbell Matthews, a former New York judge. To replace Douglas upon his recognition, his decision to replace Douglas with a black man was met with outrage, but Cleveland claimed to have known Matthews personally. Although Cleveland had condemned the outrages against Chinese immigrants, he believed that Chinese immigrants were unwilling to assimilate into white society. Secretary of State Thomas F. Bayard negotiated an extension to the Chinese Exclusion Act, and Cleveland lobbied the Congress to pass the Scott Act, written by Congress William Lawrence Scott, which prevented to the return of Chinese immigrants who left the United States. The Scott Act easily passed both houses of Congress, and Cleveland signed it into law on October 1, 1888. Native American Policy Henry L. Dawes wrote the Dawes Act, which Cleveland signed into law. Cleveland viewed Native Americans as wards of the state, saying that in his first inaugural address, that this guardianship involves on our part efforts for the improvement of their condition and affordance of their rights. He encouraged the idea of cultural assimilation, pushing for the passage of the Dawes Act, which prevented for distribution of Indian lands to individual members of tribes, rather than having them continue to be held in trust for the tribes by the federal government. While a conference of Native leaders endorsed the act, in practice, the majority of Native Americans disapproved of it. Cleveland believed the Dawes Act would lift Native Americans out of poverty and encourage assimilation into white society. It ultimately weakened the tribal governments and allowed the individual Indians to sell land and keep the money. In the month before Cleveland's 1885 inauguration, President Arthur opened 4 million acres of Winnebago and Crow Creek Indian land in the Dakota Territory to white settlement by executive order. Tens of thousands of settlers gathered at the border of these lands prepared to take possession of them. Cleveland believed Arthur's order to be in violation of treaties with the tribes and rescinded it on April 17th of that year, ordering the settlers out of the territory. Cleveland sent in 18 companies of armored troops to enforce the treaties in order General Philip Sheridan at the time commanding general of the U.S. Army to investigate the matter. Thank you for listening to this episode of U.S. President number 22 and 24, Glover Cleveland. Stay tuned for part three next week. I hope you have a good week. You stay safe during this coronavirus pandemic that extends into 2021. I just look forward to enormously now that the vaccines are out, if that can ever happen. Thank you. Have a good week. As always, thank you for listening.